Right, well, the bishop's plenary meeting up in Hinsley Hall, Leeds, has just concluded the November plenary, and I'm with uh, General Secretary Canon Chris Thomas. Um, give us a wrap as to what the bishops have, have resolved. Well, the first thing, um, the, or the most important thing about the plenary meeting is it's time for the bishops to actually be together. And in many respects, the work that's done outside of the formal uh, structure of the meeting is, uh, is, is just as important as what's actually discussed. So uh, to actually have time to pray together, to celebrate Mass together, to be with each other, uh, is first and foremost the, the most important thing for this plenary. But there's been a lot of work going on as well. So um, we've had two very interesting presentations this week. Uh, one from the Catholic Union about their work as one of the oldest consultative bodies to the Bishops' Conference in England and Wales, and one from PACT, uh, the Prisoners' Advice Care Trust. Um, their work is quite remarkable, especially in these difficult times with respect to prison uh, occupancy and the way in which people need to be supported, uh, not only within the prison structure, but outside of it. And their advocacy work, as well as their pastoral support work, is really quite important. So uh, um, the bishops were very, very pleased to be able to hear firsthand from uh, the CEO of PACT uh, about their ongoing work uh, in this vital area of pastoral support, but work also that the Bishops' Conference, through the work of um, Bishop Richard Moth, who is the lead bishop for prisons, uh, how he is advocating and working with HMPPS and the other departments of the Home Office to ensure uh, good reform for prisons and for prisoners. So uh, what have we been talking about? What have we resolved? Um, well, the, one of the good things that we've agreed is that next year uh, is the year of the International Eucharistic Congress in Quito in Ecuador. Not many people will go from this country, although I know that there are small groups going over to Quito. But we've decided that we will have a smaller Eucharistic Congress here in September uh, at Oscott College. And uh, we're going to be looking for people from all over the country to come together uh, to adore the Lord in the Eucharist, uh, to deepen their Eucharistic theology and to celebrate our Eucharistic faith together. So that's a really positive thing that we'll be looking towards that, which will be then a stepping stone into the Jubilee year, which the bishops have also been looking at, and the way in which my colleague Father Jan Novotnik, uh, the director of mission, is coordinating with the dioceses who all have um, Euchar who all have coordinators for the Jubilee year to look at the way in which we can do the years of preparation, of prayer, uh, and of looking at the, uh, the the teaching of the Second Vatican Council, so that we are opening ourselves and our hearts to the person of Christ, who is obviously our Jubilee. He is the centre of our Jubilee life. Now, it's important to say this is not necessarily Adoramus 2, is it? That big gathering that we had in Liverpool in 2018. No, it's not going to be on the scale of Adoramus. But what's important about going to Oscott is that it, um, Oscott was the place where the first Eucharistic procession took place after the uh, re-establishment of the hierarchy. So the first one since the Reformation, in fact. And so uh, our presence there is also a historical link into our Eucharistic history. Um, so this is, is will be a celebration next year in September. Uh, we're looking to gather around about 1,500 people. It'll be a day celebration rather than uh, uh, the weekend that we had for Adoramus. Uh, but that's something that we're going to build on. It's it's a stepping stone. We're still, as it were, uh, uh, you know, in the post-COVID period, we're still looking at how are we going to gather again? How are we going to reinvigorate our faith? Uh, and this is one positive step for that. And in November, Pope Francis met with shrine directors and we have a little bit of 
shrine news, don't we? We do. Um, the um, shrine of St. Winifred at Holywell in North Wales, the bishops have now passed a formal resolution to create that as a national shrine in England and Wales. And I know that Bishop Peter Brignall, the Bishop of, of Wrexham, is delighted by this. And uh, uh, it will be a, a place uh, of enhanced pilgrimage. Uh, and pilgrimage will also form part of that jubilee celebration. We're looking at ecumenical pilgrimages. We have the Pilgrim Ways of Faith that have been developed by Dr. Phil McCarthy, which is already on our website. Uh, and so uh, to create a new uh, national shrine uh, of St. Winifred in Holywell is a really important thing. And I know that Bishop Peter uh, will talk to you about it. Yes, obviously looking forward to that. Now, environmental concerns have been front and centre. And obviously we've had Laudate Deum by the Holy Father. Tell us a bit about that resolution. Well, I always think that that when, when it comes to the environment, we must never think of, of singular documents. So, you know, we've got a, a corpus of magisterial teaching on the environment, which goes all the way back to uh, Pope St. Paul VI. But we've obviously had, within the last month or so, Laudate Deum, which couples with Laudato Si. And we mustn't forget the Fratelli Tutti is in there as well, because the care of the common home is also about the care of humanity. And so we are looking at the holistic approach of care, not only for each other, but for our common home as well. And so with COP28 on the horizon, the bishops have resolved to petition political leaders to take decisive action at COP28 to make sure that our energy transition targets are efficient, obligatory and readily monitored, and that we're going to look at how they can be enforced as well. But the key thing that Bishop John Arnold highlighted as our lead bishop for the environment was that we cannot be complacent about this work. It's very important that we ensure that we continue to make ardent strides to reduce our carbon footprints. Each diocese is looking at their carbon footprint and looking at ways in which it can be reduced. Um, we have the wonderful Guardian of Creation project up in Salford, which John Arnold has been spearheading and creating in his own home at Wardley Hall. Um, but more importantly, it's at the heart of everybody in our Catholic communities to really embrace the principles of living simply, to look at what we can do personally in order to reduce uh, our carbon footprint and to, and to engage in a theological love of, of our world, which is intrinsic to our love of the Lord and of neighbour. And whilst encouraging that action and deepening, there is that acknowledgement that our Catholic schools, parishes, organisations are doing their bit, aren't they? And they are doing it very, very well. I think that one of the most important things that we have to be is vigilant. You know, what can we do? Because even small steps in our personal lives, in the lives of our Catholic communities, in our schools, even small steps can make a big difference. One of the things that uh, that uh, I'm, I'm aware of, uh, and I've, I've spoken about it before, parishes and our presbyteries and our parish halls buy their energy through IFM, the Interdiocesan Fuel Management Company, and uh, all of our gas is, is green, and we are certified as a green supplier. And we're on the way with elect our electricity as well. So, you know, we are ensuring that what we are doing is sustainable in terms of uh, our energy production on a church basis. But that doesn't mean that, that we can't do more as individuals. I mean, to give you an example, where I live, we've just started doing food recycling. And so I'm very proud to have my food bin on the kitchen uh, shelf ready to take in all of my food scrapings. Westminster Council have only just brought that in. I was very keen to take them up on it. Now, we turn our attention to something, well, obviously tragic and heartbreaking in terms of the, the conflict in Israel and Gaza. 
Yes, the bishops have uh, published a resolution on this, deploring and condemning the barbaric terrorist attacks perpetrated in Israel at the beginning of October. They focus very much on all victims, but particularly on children, because children are traumatised by such action and, and it lives deeply in their hearts. And it's only through examples of, of tangible love are they able to overcome these difficulties. And so the bishops have made that expression of solidarity and support with those children, but also a deep call for a cessation of violence. We have to pray ardently for peace. Uh, and as we enter into the season of Advent, the light of Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, will become our focus. And that has to be the underpinning of our prayer for Israel Gaza at this time. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's worth drawing attention to the statement by Bishop Declan Lang as chair of the Department for International Affairs and Bishop Nicholas Hudson as chair of the Holy Land Coordination, obviously focusing on the human and focusing on our prayers on those people suffering. It's a tragedy, an absolute tragedy that should never have happened. And we deplore the fact that, that this violence is, is ongoing. As um, the statement that the bishops have put out today, a First World War veteran who at the, age of the, uh, at the age of 100 said, in war nobody wins, you might as well talk first, you have to in the end. They're going to have to talk to bring about that peace. But it has to be a genuine um, approach from both sides to make sure that, that there is a lasting peace in the land. Absolutely. And finally, the, the, the final major point in terms of resolutions is a rather lengthy piece on the Synod on Synodality, Steps Towards Renewal. Now, we know this is somewhat of the halfway house with October 2024, another Synod gathering. What are the bishops saying in, in this two-pager? The important thing to remember that um, the Synod is a process. Um, it's not a one-off. It's not three weeks in Rome or four weeks in Rome and then we leave it and we wait for the apostolic exhortation. We're in a process that's been going on for three years and we were well well represented in uh, in the Synod with four representatives, three bishops and my colleague again, Father Jan Novotnik, who represented the church in England and Wales. But more importantly, were, were, were people who engaged deeply in the um, conversations in the spirit, which brought about the um, uh, synodal synthesis, which has been published after that month in Rome. What are they asking for? Two words, to adore and to serve. These come from the Pope's homily at the final mass of this, of this part of the synod. Keeping Christ at the centre of our lives, serving Christ in our brothers and sisters. And these are things that will help us to prepare to embrace what will come out of the synod when it is completed next year. But remember that even when it is completed, and if we have an apostolic exhortation, we don't know, the Pope may not publish one, because this is an embedding of a new way of being. It's not simply about what the Pope's going to say. It's how we are being a missionary church in today's world. And that's why we must always go back, as I've said time and time again to you, James, we go back to the three things, communion, participation, and mission, because it's all about focusing on how can we be more efficient in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ in the world of today. And I think a good time to bring in the Reverend Dr. Jan Novotnik, who was one of those delegates, non-bishop voting member. Now, adoration lies at the heart of, of this statement from the bishops, this resolution. Tell me a little bit more about the centrality and importance of that. Well, I think obviously our adoration of the Lord in the Eucharist comes from the celebration of the Mass. And in the celebration of the Mass, we are there at Calvary, participating in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, and we receive the fruits of that in the Eucharist. And adoration prolongs that moment of our desire to be with the Lord and love him. 
And I think the bishops are quite right to pick up on those beautiful words of Pope Francis where he said, responding to our baptismal vocation, we want to adore the Lord in our prayer, in our liturgy, particularly in the Eucharist. And that sense of adoration then leads into service. And what I would say, what I felt in the Synod Hall, that you had about 350 people there, bishops, priests, deacons, religious, laywomen and men, who were in love with the Lord. We may not have always agreed on everything in that room, but what we did agree in was that we loved the Lord and we loved his church and we had a deep desire for the mission of the church. But we cannot be missionary unless we know the Lord. And one of the best ways to know the Lord is to spend time with him in prayer. And so what our bishops are inviting all of us to do between this period of time of now until the second part of the, the Synod in 2024 is to reacquaint ourselves with that desire to be with the Lord in Eucharistic communion. And obviously there are those questions with regard to renewal that we're putting before, the bishops are putting before people. Bearing in mind, bearing in mind that, that yes, there's another year to come, tell us a little bit about what they're asking for and how that fits. I think, well, what the, the, the bishops are asking for is, you know, that we deepen and broaden opportunities for people to participate in the prayer of adoration. So I remember when I was a parish priest, I was very keen to provide opportunities for the people to be in church in quiet adoration before the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. And I'm sure the bishops will be encouraging their parish priests to do the same. And I think, you know, the adoramus, which Canon Chris has just talked about, in, in September will be a really good moment to remind ourselves of that um, as, the, as the church in England and Wales. And, and with that, the bishops have said, you know, they've asked the question, how can our experiences of prayer, of thirsting and longing for God, and of gratitude and wonder give a missionary witness? So that communion that we have with the Lord then impels us to do what the Lord asks us to do, go out and teach in my name, to preach in my name, and to baptise all people. And I think this is at the heart of a synodal church. It is about our desire to deepen our relationship with the Lord and then how we go and proclaim. And the bishops have said one way that we will proclaim and following the invitation of Pope Francis is to clearly be the servants of each other. And so our bishops ask the question, how can the person of Christ be clearly at the heart of the service we offer? And how can our service to people in need be framed and shaped to increase the widest possible participation. Realising all the time, you know, that as Catholic Christians, the service we give is always rooted in the service and the example of Christ, whom we will serve in the Eucharist and then serve in each other. I'm going to finish with a difficult question. So you were in the room for the best part of a month. It is a topic, the Synod, because we are, as, as Canon Chris said, talking about communion, participation, mission. Everyone's working out where they stand in this with regard to the church. Why should we still have faith in the process? I think we should still have faith in the process because, as I said at the beginning of what I've just been speaking about, there were people in the room who loved the church. And I think everyone who's been part of the process, and many people who didn't feel that they could answer questions or be part of that process, are people who love Christ and his church. And I think what is at the heart of synodality and why we still need to be engaged is what Pope Francis is asking us to do, is how do we strengthen some of the structures of the church? How do we strengthen our Christian life and witness so that we know the Lord and we serve each other? And that is at the heart of what it means to be a synodal church. Communion 
with the Lord, participation in the life of the church, and then going out in missionary love and service to each other. That's why it's really important. We may get bogged down, forgive me for saying this, in some of the the topics um, that we all know about, sometimes the things that people would like to change in the church. The first thing we need to do, I would suggest, is to configure and change our hearts to be more like Christ. And that is what I think Pope Francis is inviting the church to do. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, allow our hearts to become like those of Jesus Christ, serve each other, and actually we will be living out a synodal experience of the church. Father Jan, thank you very much. And Canon Chris, just a word to finish. We won't be returning in uh, spring 2024 to Hinsley Hall, will we, for the next plenary? No, we are going to go to uh, Buckfast Abbey in the Diocese of Plymouth. Every so often, the bishops gather together for an extended plenary period. And um, this time, we're going to be down in Buckfast, where there will be a shorter as it were, business meeting, but um, an extended period of prayerful retreat. So we're going down to Buckfast in the spring. We're going to be led in retreat by uh, Bishop Eric Varden. Bishop Eric um, is the Bishop of Trondheim um, in Norway. Uh, He was the abbot of Mount St. Bernard's Abbey in um, Leicestershire, which is in my diocese, a place which I know and love very, very much. And um, Eric is going to come and lead the bishops in a retreat. I know that they're looking forward to it because this will be the first time that we've actually been able to do this since uh, 2019. So I think that it's uh, it's a long time that we've not been able to uh, be together in that prayerful environment. So next spring, the spring plenary will be a shortened business meeting, but then a period of, of prayerful retreat with each other. Gentlemen, thank you very much indeed. Thank you.